When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When we think about President Biden, not unlike the stock market, his stock is down. So much of the first year was about COVID and the economy. The second year will have to touch on some foreign policy. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We're coming quickly to a crunch point where we're going to know either way what Russia's intentions are. He's hit a roadblock in the Senate. I think we're ready to get out of this vortex and see some legislation happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Russia says we're whipping up hysteria. President Biden says the U.S. is ready no matter what happens with Ukraine. And lawmakers are returning to Washington in the middle of all this with sanctions and spending on their minds. Welcome to a brand new week in the fastest hour in politics with a lot to cover this evening. We'll discuss the standoff with Russia with Congressman Brendan Boyle, Democrat from Pennsylvania, member of the Congressional Ukrainian Caucus. And later, as Congress faces a long to-do list, members getting back in the bubble today, an actual budget seems possible, and we're told a bipartisan sanctions bill could soon emerge as well. We'll talk legislation with Mark Goldwine at the Committee for a Responsible Budget. And the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Just four words from President Biden on the standoff with Ukraine today. Four words. No matter what happens, the U.S. is ready. He made the comment to White House pool reporters, essentially writing the newspaper headline today. They were ushered into the Oval during a bilateral meeting with the Emir of Qatar. Here's President Biden. But with Russia's continuing its buildup of its forces um, around Ukraine, we are ready no matter what happens. No matter what happens. This following reports you likely heard on Bloomberg. Vladimir Putin adding even more troops along the Ukrainian border. And it comes on the same day the standoff was aired before the United Nations Security Council. Boy, no love lost between our two sides. Russia accusing the U.S., as I mentioned, whipping up hysteria. The U.S. accusing Russia of fabricating a pretext for an attack. So none of that's changed. And we get to talk about this now with Congressman Brendan Boyle, Democrat from Pennsylvania, 13th District, think northeastern Philly, and a member of the Congressional Ukraine Caucus. Congressman, thank you for being here. I've been asking the same question today that I was asking last Monday. Are we closer or further away from war than we were before the weekend? Well, good to be uh, back on the program. One thing to keep in mind is that uh, Russia has been at war in Ukraine for eight years. Mm -hmm. So while for many Americans, this may seem uh, like a new issue. In fact, it isn't. Um, whether it was the uh, takeover of Crimea or the fighting in Donbass, 
the reality is that Putin has had his eyes on Ukraine for, for quite some period of time. Putin is an individual who once famously said that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe in his lifetime was the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So that is his worldview, and he very much wants to put Russia back together as an empire and as a as a um, superpower. Why wait then to sanction Russia? And I know this is an ongoing conversation. Ukraine thinks an immediate round would be smart. I know that the deal they're talking about with uh, Menendez and Rish, uh, this looks like we might have a bipartisan sanctions bill coming out of the Senate, would have kind of a two-pronged. The most severe would be triggered by an actual invasion. But there'd be sanctions now. What do you think? You know, I'm open-minded on this score. Uh, I want to do, obviously, whatever would uh, give us the most leverage in dealing with the Russians. There is some concern that if you immediately push forward with sanctions now, then for uh, Vladimir Putin, he might say, well, this is already baked into the cake. I yep. might as well move forward in Ukraine anyway. So I, I really actually can see it from, from both sides. Um, certainly, if we do move forward with sanctions, I would want some sort of snapback provision um, you know, based on the, the behavior of uh, the Russian ruler. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see uh, this meeting today in which President Biden was speaking. We just played uh, sound from this meeting with the uh, emir of Qatar. The president says he's expanding the alliance with that country as he met uh, today at the White House, shoring up energy supplies to Europe, diplomacy with the Taliban. But this comes down to, to essentially providing gas or helping with, with providing gas to Europe. Is that going to help us get around this? Well, you know, I'm very concerned uh, at this situation that Germany has put itself in um, with respect to its energy needs. Obviously, uh, Angela Merkel, who is really a stalwart when it came to protecting the West and protecting democracy, she made the view, though, to shut down all of their nuclear plants, um, which I think in retrospect looks questionable um concerning you know considering the fact that they are now so vulnerable when it comes to to energy um I, i'm someone who has voiced real concerns about Nord Stream 2 you mentioned mm-hmm. that i'm a member of the ukrainian caucus i'm also a delegate to the nato parliamentary assembly and i helped write a, an important policy paper that expressed the views of nato parliamentary assembly to express our concern our concerns about Nord Stream 2 so um, moving forward to the extent that we in the United States yeah. um, can help our European uh, allies become energy independent of Russia, I think that is in our interest and there. Yeah, it may, ch- may change some views on this. Congressman, will the outcome in Ukraine define President Biden's second year in office? Well, I, I think it really depends on whether or not you're looking at it in the short term or the long term. Um, you know, uh, the reality is most voters tend to be focused on domestic issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly when I go around my district, that, that tends to be the case. You know, if someone's a member of a diaspora group, then, then that's probably a little bit, um, a little bit different. And then even then, you're just talking about the issues that relate um, to that specific diaspora. So in reality, I would expect while this issue is of incredible importance to the United States and to the world, I do tend to think that come this September and October, it'll be the domestic issues mm-hmm. that really um, drive the elections. Well, let's get into some of those. The House and Senate getting back to business this week, of course. Welcome back, Congressman, as a member of the Budget Committee 
there's actually some some pretty big business to take care of. Is crafting a budget, an omnibus, getting an omnibus bill the most pressing issue in the House right now? Or do you plan to buy some time with a continuing resolution? I do not want one more continuing resolution. I, I think we have a great uh, opportunity here on a bipartisan budget. My understanding is we're about 95% uh, of the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of things in this budget, by the way, that were offered by Republican members. So I am confident that come mid-February, our CR will expire in a, in a couple weeks. I do not want another CR, which, which simply means, I mean, it's awful D.C. speak for essentially the last Trump budget continuing. That's right. Um, I, I, I think that's a mistake. We need to have finally a new budget for this fiscal year. It can be bipartisan. And the good news is I do think we're close to achieving that. Where's the work left? Is it defense spending or non-defense? Well, and then, of course, the, the or am I oversimplifying? Um, well, oh, I'm sorry. The work done in terms of, of the in, budget in actually finding a deal. Yeah. Is it defense spending or non-defense? Yeah, or is it, it simply more complicated than that? It is. It's more complicated than that. And actually, there's a lot of, I would say, relatively little things in the grand scheme. There's also some disagreements between the, the Senate side and the House side that aren't necessarily partisan disagreements. But mm-hmm. I will say again, I, I'm quite confident that we will get there. Um, and that we will pass a bipartisan budget. I know Build Back Better is still at least in the air, uh, or at least portions of it. And I wonder if if that might be the future vehicle, if that omnibus bill might be a vehicle, some of the components from Build Back Better, say uh, pre-K education, something that was popular on both sides of the aisle. Is there a way to get something left, something policy-driven from Joe Biden's first year into this piece of legislation? Uh, so I do believe we will see a slimmed down Build Back Better Act, one that, let's face it, that Senator Joe Manchin can agree with, and they will pass that out of the Senate. I think yeah. it'll be a separate piece of legislation, though, than the budget, because the budget, you know, the hope is that we can make it bipartisan. Um, I really doubt, unfortunately, that the Build Back Better Act will have bipartisan support. So that's still a reconciliation even though, story. Yeah, and also so many uh, of the individual items that are in there have broad support among the American people, including a sizable number of Republicans. But the political reality is there just has not been any uh, Republican support for it on Capitol Hill. How about uh, you seek a congressman? I'm understanding now that Republicans are pushing against that in the House. This has passed the Senate, of course, this competitiveness bill, whatever we want to call it, that includes the CHIP Act. Everyone agrees that we need to fix this CHIP problem. How come this got so political? Well, the House will uh, be voting on its own version of the CHIPS Act uh, literally this week. I expect final passage on Friday. I I think people recognize, and I speak to uh, folks from the private sector, from industry, who are not necessarily Democratic or Republican, and talk about the enormous CHIP shortage. We had one to begin with anyway, but then what happened is really this is one of the ways in which COVID has distorted our economy. It, It just drove up demand for these chips that was already high, but it's just put it on steroids. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think, though, that most of my colleagues recognize this is an important priority to maintain the competitiveness of the United States, and ultimately we need to get it done. Could you bring any of that money and some, some investment, maybe a deal with a chip maker in Pennsylvania? Is that something you might have in mind? That is something I always have in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I my state uh, is open for business, especially, you know, my uh, my part of, of the state. Um, I would point out we're very well situated. We are the keystone state, uh, figuratively and literally. 
So if business wants uh, to set up shop in an area where you have a big pocket of well-educated voters that are close to 95 and close to I-80, Jeez. Uh, no better spot than Pennsylvania. you have to put your phone number on the air here. If I just wondered, if Intel is investing in Ohio, who's going to be investing in Pennsylvania if you want to maintain that manufacturing base? Well, you know, that is an important concern, though, and a number of my colleagues actually from um, the, the tech sector areas of Northern California have talked about this, that, you know, unfortunately, we have a few pockets like Silicon Valley, Austin, Texas, a few others that have done really well in this new economy. But we have to do a better job of diversifying those gains geographically throughout the country. Yeah. Pennsylvania, we're on both sides of that. You know, the the dynamic economy in the Philadelphia area, which is very much meds and eds and takes advantage of how many colleges and universities we have in this area, mm-hmm. it's a very different economy here than, say, four hours away in small-town Pennsylvania that um, might have been a big factory town that left sure. a long time ago. So in my state, we actually feel it on both sides. Congressman, appreciate spending some time with you on a Monday, and uh, we'd like to follow your work on the Ukraine caucus as we get closer, God willing, to a resolution there. Stay with us on Bloomberg Sound On as we assemble the panel next. Jeannie and Rick are here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Biden administration will brief senators on the situation in Ukraine later this week. They've picked Thursday for the appointment. That's following the congressional leadership briefing on all of this last week. I do wonder if that coincides with the release of a sanctions bill. We certainly heard about it on the Sunday shows. Senators Menendez and Reich chair, ranking member, Rish, I should say, uh, talking about the chances here of getting an actual bipartisan piece of legislation with a dose of sanctions up front, then the heavy-duty stuff if Russia were to cross the line and actually invade Ukraine. This is where we begin with the panel, and they're both with us today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Did you see them on Balance of Power earlier? We did talk about a little bit of this as we've been making our way through the last week on both of these programs. It's great to have you both back here. Rick, what do you make of that? Having spent the time you did in the Senate, when you hear about briefings, not just for leadership, but for the the entire membership on something like this, is that going to come with news on Thursday? That's going to light the fire? You know, sometimes they have news. Sometimes it's just to let the steam out of this, you know, members yeah. because they get all exci- exercised. Like, you know, you mentioned uh, members uh, Menendez and Reich want to mm-hmm. get something done. They mm-hmm. want to look like they're active. They don't want to sit on their hands. 
And so sometimes it's just the, the, the need to have the president come up and say, look, we got this, guys. Here's the plan we're going to have. Let's not do anything to get in the way of the plan. You know, he, here's what we're seeing on the ground. And, and, and typically, I mean, then all the members who can't keep a secret spill out and start talking to reporters. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's why usually news. when the news occurs. <laughs> right. Oh, exactly. uh, the four words that, that jumped out here, no matter what happens, Jeannie, the president today in the Oval Office, as we know that uh, Vladimir Putin is adding more troops along the border with Ukraine. This doesn't sound like, like it's cooling off. It doesn't. And, and it's a little bit surprising given we are so close to the kickoff of the Olympics. Um, and, you know, you heard this back and forth as you were reporting about, you know, at the U.N. Security Council yeah. between these arguments that we are being hysterical, the West is being hysterical versus the reality, which is they continue to amass troops on the border. Um, and you continue to hear experts say that, you know, it's unlikely that they would go into Ukraine right before the Olympics and sort of, you know, take the 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 focus off of, of President G. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, what then is this buildup about? So I think this briefing on Thursday is going to be critical for senators and members of Congress to get information as to what the administration knows and what is leading it to say that this is, uh, you know, not hysteria. Because let's not forget, we're also hearing some of that from the Ukrainian president, some Ukrainian officials themselves. And so I think senators and congressmen and, and women in particular are going to want to get some answers to to some of those questions as to what the the administration knows. Yeah. But Rick, is this the best time Vladimir Putin's had since, you know, say 2014? Like, is he is he in the easy chair at night watching all the American newscasts, eating popcorn, laughing here, or, or do I have it wrong? You know, I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I think he's put himself in a position to do what he wants to try to do, which is basically extort the West, you know, into, into giving him his way. But like, yeah. a lot can go wrong for him, both domestically um, you know, he's he's assuming he can control his domestic political situation and some of those sanctions could result in problems for him. But also, uh, you know, he's just had to now square off uh, in a U.N. Security Council. So it's starting to you know, starting to make him look like he's outside the mainstream. Okay. And so I'm not sure it's a zero sum game for him. I don't think he wins no matter what. What did that Security Council conversation mean for you, uh, Jeannie? We've heard the hysteria line before, but to see people getting kind of upset about it was new. It, it was. And I think it just underscores the reality that this continued drumbeat about hysteria is countered by the reality of the troop movements that are going forward. And, you know, let's not forget, this is not just again about Russia. We also have Taiwan and, and China. We also have testing of missiles yes. by North Korea going on. Korea. Yeah. So, you know, every, you know, the world is watching and, and, you know, the Biden administration having learned from what happened in Crimea in 2014, when the Obama administration was accused of not preparing the world enough for what was happening, has now taken a page from that and is saying, look, at, this is what we are seeing. And this is the reality on the ground. They can call mm -hmm. us hysterical all we want, but this is what the data shows. We learned uh, from Charlie Pellet uh, at the beginning of the hour, uh, Rick, that the president's going to be going to Japan in late May. After what Jeannie just told us, and we saw more missile tests, I guess, uh, in, in the month of January than we have seen uh, over the last year. Um, what do you make of that move to show up in Asia with that timing? Yeah, these missile tests by the uh, North Koreans are uh, starting to cause problems for this administration in, in Asia. Yeah. Uh, but we also must remember that Japan is our uh, longest and, and, and strongest ally in that region in anything that might go on with trade or politics or military 
against uh, China. So it, it's it's in a really important place. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that he would pick Japan to be the first trip uh, overseas uh, this year. Uh, and with Rahm Emanuel now the new ambassador yes, uh, to right. Japan, I'm sure they have a lot of plans to try and secure that uh, Asia ally uh, uh, situation uh, the, as quick as they can. Does that also send a message to Kim Jong-un, Jenny? It does. And, and let's not forget, this is part of what the administration has been talking about well before this latest, you know, potential incursion into Russia, is that they wanted to pivot to Asia. That has been their goal, their stated goal all along. Mm -hmm. This is part of that. His first meeting with an, uh, somebody from overseas was with the Japanese prime minister, as we well remember last year when he became president. This is part and parcel of that very important plan. They're with us for the hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis and back a little bit later on as we tackle some other issues. Up next, we talk to Mark Goldwine, Senior Policy Advisor at the Committee for a Responsible Budget and review some of what we heard from Congressman Boyle. What is the agenda now that members are back? What can they get done? It's next on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. So the government runs out of money February 18th, right? We had that circled on the calendar. There's no budget yet. And instead of talking about a shutdown, lawmakers are crafting a budget. This is not the setup for a flashback. It's actually happening now, and we'll talk about it next with Mark Goldwine from the Committee for a Responsible Budget, along with the rest of the congressional agenda, if there is one. It was a smart read today from Bloomberg's Mike Dorning and Eric Wasson, the headline, Biden economic agenda on hold as more Americans hit hardships. This is a really good piece here. Democrats return to Washington this week with no deal in sight. We're talking about Build Back Better, or what was Build Back Better. The president's, remember when we called it the soft infrastructure? Doesn't that seem quaint now? Never got over the finish line, of course, by the end of last year. That doesn't mean it's dead, although Dick Durbin did say over the weekend, the number two Senate Democrat says we have debated it long enough, and nobody seems to think that Joe Manchin has changed his mind. And so we turn to what's going on in the budgeting process, knowing that we run out of money February 18th. Maybe there's a continuing resolution. Congressman Boyle told us earlier this hour he doesn't want to see that. He works on the Budget and Ways and Means Committees. And we're joined now by Mark Goldwine, Senior Vice President, Senior Policy Advisor at the Committee for a Responsible Budget. Mark, is Congress going to be responsible and get this done? Uh, well, thank you so much for having me on. Good I, to have I, you. I'm sorry, the phone, the, the phone cut off for a minute, so I missed your question. But if the question is, is Congress <laughs> going to be responsible, the answer is probably no. Oh, good. Uh, how about responsible enough to craft a budget? Do we get an omnibus bill or do we do another CR? So it looks like it's a little bit too late for them to actually get an omnibus in time by February 18th. But um, if everything goes very well, maybe they'll do just a very short-term continuation, a short-term CR, and have something by the end of the month. The issue is they're negotiating some really big numbers. Yeah. If, if they get this through, it's not going to be because they, they sort of did good governance. It's going to be because they bribe each other enough. <laughs> Democrats gave Republicans a huge increase in defense. Republicans give Democrats a huge increase in non-defense. Everybody wins and the grandkids lose. Where does the increase in non-defense go? 
Uh, well, we don't know yet because they're still negotiating. Uh, President Biden asked for a 16 percent increase in mm-hmm. non-defense, which is pretty radical considering in a typical year we'd get something like 2 percent. Now, inflation is higher this year, but you'd still expect maybe 5 percent. Um, they're not going to get the full 16, but maybe they'll get 8 or 9 or 10. We still don't know where it's going to go, but that's enough money to spread around um, to health care, to uh, environment, to mm-hmm. the State Department, uh, really everywhere. Bloomberg uh, reporting, Bloomberg government from Capitol Hill, that there might also be an opportunity uh, to get some COVID relief spending in there, not stimulus money, but to pay for testing, to pay for at-home testing kits, vaccinations, and so forth. Do you see that happening in this legislation? Um, I I think one way or another, if we start to run out of testing money or things like that, there will be bipartisan support to expand it. We put a lot of that money in the American Rescue Plan. But I don't think we predicted Omicron, and we're burning through the money pretty fast. So it's going to, it's going, we're going to need to renew that cash at some point, whether it's this or something at, else. At some point, uh, whether we need it in February or whether we can make it till October, um, I, I couldn't tell you. But I think that when there is a need for more money, there will be support for that kind of stuff. At what point do they craft legislation that will steer infrastructure money? You know, we've seen numbers. You get $10 billion for roads and bridges in one state. Another one gets five. But when does the actual mechanism uh, uh, go into place that will start distributing that more than $1 trillion that was signed in, into law by the president last year? So that money actually comes through sort of all different channels. And a lot of it is um, formula grants to the states that they're already working out or yeah. stuff the Secretary of Transportation has. Some of it's through the highway bill. And to, we actually have to wait for this appropriations bill to figure out how that's going to go. So that could take some time. Well, that's something most people don't seem to realize. You know, that, that infrastructure money is going to also depend on what happens in the next couple of weeks here, Mark. That, that's right. Again, one way or another, look, they're very good at giving away the goodies. So one way or another, they'll figure out how to distribute the money. Yeah. But these are intertwined conversations. Yeah, they are. Uh, then there's Yusika. I don't know how closely you're looking at that, but we're talking about tens of billions there that would be invested in uh, computer chip manufacturing if these two chambers can get their act together, get a conference bill and, and something else passed. But I know this has become a, a partisan conversation Uh, at least for uh, some uh, uh, members of the House. I know the leadership doesn't want to see this on the Republican side. Mark, is this going to see the light of day? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. This is a competitiveness mill that does what we normally do, which is creates a bunch of new rules and regulations, the good kind in many cases, the bad kind in some cases, and allows money to be spent. But it also includes $50 billion, roughly, of direct spending, which is not usual for these bills, and that's definitely contentious. Um, But... There does seem to be a lot of interest in, in getting this money out because we know about the chip shortage and, right. um, you know, we're in a race for China. It's funny it's that China. this is contentious. I mean, it's not funny at all. I guess why is it contentious is my question, because everyone seems to agree on both sides of the aisle that we need to make more computer chips, even for our own national security here in the United States. Isn't this a way to get it going? Yeah, I mean, I think one question is who should be doing that, the private sector or, yeah. or government funding? And another question is, should we pay for it? Because... President Biden has said he wants to pay for everything, but there's no pay-fors in this legislation. Talking with Mark Goldwine, Senior Vice President, Senior Policy Advisor at the Committee for a Responsible Budget. What else is on your radar? I don't think it's voting rights, and I'm assuming it's not Build Back Better, but maybe maybe I'm wrong, Mark. Maybe you see something coming out of the ashes there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely we could, we could see um, Humpty Dumpty Build Back Better again. Um, there's a lot of interest. I, we just heard... Uh, a bunch of House Democrats asked for a climate change-only bill, just mm-hmm. take the $550 billion of climate funding. Others are looking into adding in pre-K and child care. Um, I do think that 
sooner or later this is going to come back up. It's not going to be, you know, the House bill, which was basically like $5 trillion worth of stuff that they tried to make smaller by just having arbitrary expirations. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, I hope, a much more targeted package of permanent policies, but um, it is going to take some time. We talked earlier this hour with Congressman Brendan Boyle about it. it. It's still a reconciliation exercise at that point, though, correct? Democrats have to do that on their own, no matter the size, with the issues you're describing. That, that's right. Um, I, I don't think there are if this really falls apart, there may be some issues they can revive on a bipartisan basis. Yeah. But they're still looking for basically a 50 vote package. And they have until October 1. That's their deadline. Mark Goldwine from the Committee for a Responsible Budget. Thanks for getting us on track here at the beginning of this week. Lawmakers are back. It's time to go. February 18th. We'll see what happens between now and then. Although if you're Mark Goldwine, you're not expecting a lot. Rick and Jeannie are back with us next as we reassemble the panel for Bloomberg Sound On on a Monday. I'm Joe Matthew in New York. This is Bloomberg. Johan Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As we join you again from the mothership in Manhattan, welcome to Bloomberg Sound On. As we reassemble the panel now with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis to talk about something that Senator Lindsey Graham calls inappropriate. Now you're wondering what I'm going to say. Let's bring it back to Texas on Saturday night, the scene of the latest Donald Trump rally. The former president made news with some new material. Here he is. If I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. We will treat them fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons. Uh, 761 people potentially we're talking about who have been charged in the Capitol riot. Uh, And this, uh, of course, played itself out the next morning on Sunday morning television. This is when we heard from Senator Lindsey Graham. Everyone was being asked about this, including the senator from South Carolina who wasn't having it. Here's Lindsey Graham. I think it's inappropriate. I I don't want to reinforce that defiling the Capitol was okay. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do anything that would make this more likely in the future. I want to deter people who did what on January the 6th. And those who did it, I hope they go to jail and get the book thrown at them because they deserve it. CBS Sunday morning. Let's reassemble the panel, Jeannie and Rick. Is this the first sign of fissure here uh, in in the Trump Republican Party, Rick Davis? 
Well, you know, it's not the first sign. I mean, shortly after the incursion of the Capitol, Lindsey Graham said he was having no more of it. And, you know, this was the break he was going to make with Trump. And that was quickly reverse field (laughs) with so many other Republicans like the uh, minority leader in the House. So um, I think it's the current one. And uh, and the current break is important because we're now entering a midterm where some Republicans are really dependent upon Donald Trump to help them get a win in the primary and win in the general election. And the fact that now some of the Republicans who previously supported and defended Donald Trump mm-hmm. are breaking with him, I think, is really significant. So I guess, yeah, that's a question, uh, Jeannie. How important is it that this particular senator uh, is going on CBS's Face the Nation with a comment like that while others follow him? It's very important. Lindsey Graham and and President former President Trump are close. They golf together. They seem to communicate an awful lot, and they have been close for some time. We also heard from Susan Collins, Governor Sununu, and other Republicans who said similarly to Lindsey Graham that these comments were inappropriate and people who are responsible for breaking into the Capitol and the harm that they did, the violence that they did, not to manage, you know, mention the deaths that they caused, they need to be held responsible. That said, even Susan Collins, when asked, still couldn't promise that she would not support Donald Trump if he was to be the presidential candidate on the Republican side in 2024. So while we see fissures, we don't see yet a complete break. And that is a real problem because let's not forget, we are talking about people who broke into the capital of the United States to stop an election from going forward, a fair election. For the former president to say that and Republicans not to say he is, you know, should not be their nominee at this point remains a huge challenge for the Republican Party. That was the line, by the way, that made the most news. The the one that got my attention just as much was when he urged his supporters to engage in, quote, the biggest protest we have ever had, unquote. If prosecutors investigating him and his his company do, as he put it, anything wrong or illegal. While we're talking about January 6th here, Rick, and you're talking about the biggest protest we've ever had, you know, there's a baseline for that now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's like Groundhog Day, which is coming up. And I think huh. Donald Trump lives it every day. Um, you know, he's actually making the same kind of noise he made uh, shortly after the election about, you know, we need to take it to the streets. We need to go up to the Capitol. That's we right. need to be tough. And, and, and that is, you know, sort of uh, the kind of concern that a lot of Republicans have is that he really does actually promote – uh, this kind of misbehavior amongst uh, his supporters. And and I would say that the, the one, though, that, that really blew my mind was basically his admission that he actually was trying to get Pence to overturn the election. I mean, here the president at a rally said, yeah, I was trying to overturn the election, but Pence was too much of a chicken. It's incredible stuff. Uh, now, a Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jeannie, uh, says that Lindsey Graham, quote, pretends to be a friend to President Trump. She unleashed on him today, which gives you a sense of what this could look like if you end up getting two sides of the Republican Party and Donald Trump in the middle. That's right. And, and, you know, as in terms of what he said about, you know, the prospect of these pardons for January 6th insurrectionists and then also about calling for people to protest and rally. You know, you do hear a lot of people say, oh, it's just Donald Trump, which we've heard for many years now. Just let him talk. It doesn't really matter. But we know that it does matter that his supporters listen to him. That's what we saw on January 6th. And you now see this district attorney down in Atlanta asking the FBI to help secure 
secure her governmental complex while she investigates the former president out of fear that she herself and the grand jury she's assembling may be at risk for some kind of attack. We are talking about the real prospect of violence here. So Marjorie Taylor Greene and others on the Republican side who want to criticize Lindsey Graham or anybody else for calling him out on this have to be very careful what they say. But of course, knowing her the way we do, she won't listen. Rick, is this the kind of conversation that the Biden White House and eventually Biden re-election campaign, if there is one, wants to be having to remind people of January 6th a year ago? Sure. I mean, I, I think the motto would be let Trump be Trump yeah. because they know the more Trump does this, the more likely it is that he can't get votes. Remember, this was the kind of behavior that cost the Republican Party two perfectly good Republican senators from Georgia and gave control of the Senate to the Democrats. This is exactly the approach that Donald Trump took when he traveled to Georgia and said, it's not about this election, it's about me and it's about my grievances. So the grievance party of the GOP has a decision to make, but Joe Biden can enjoy this. It's like a gift at a time when he has uh, <laughs> not been enjoying very good politics himself. I want to pick up in our remaining moments on some of the uh, conversation we had with Congressman Brendan Boyle and, and later on, in the program with Mark Goldwine, and that has to do uh, with the domestic agenda here. Rick, you you kind of predicted what we heard from the congressman on Friday with regard to the the chances of crafting an omnibus bill, getting this done, actually doing the work uh, of of the Senate, actually doing the work of the House here. And I wonder what your thought is as lawmakers come back into town today, how, how likely it is that they'll get this done by February 18th. You know, look, I think it's a possibility. I mean, uh, the, the the four corners in the Senate, yep. uh, the two appropriation chairs, uh, Republican and Democrat, and the majority and the majority uh, uh, leader are very committed to trying to get an omnibus done. Uh, the reality is, is exactly what was described earlier in your program. It's a bribe, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be enough domestic spending to offset the $25 billion that's in the budget to, to the Defense Department. That's the trick. It's not much more complex than that. And, and frankly, most of the observers of the appropriations process that I've talked to think that this is going to get done. So uh, I think it's good for Congress. Uh, I, I, we're going to spend a little bit more money. My God, we've just spent $3 trillion. So the integrity of the, the federal budget, I think, is worth at least a portion of that. Yeah, sure. Jeannie, what do you think on this? And, and does this actually help Joe Biden in the end? We know congressional approval ratings, you know, the generic congressional number is always going to be a disaster. But would this help Joe Biden get things out of the gutter a little bit, showing just the gears turning, the mechanism working in Washington? You know, it's better than if it doesn't happen. Obviously, there, I, I don't think anybody thinks there's going to be a shutdown. But if we get a continuing resolution, yeah. um, you know, it, it's better if we get the omnibus for the president. You know, we forget about things like while they passed the infrastructure bill, they still haven't appropriated the money right. for it. Yeah. So, you know, this is a critical component of that. And of course, you know, as Democrats like to say, they're still operating under or the government is still operating under Donald Trump's budget. They want to increase spending on those issues that they care about. So speak Speaking of those bribes, you know, the White House was at 16 percent. The Democrats willing to go down to 13. Hopefully they get to some middle ground there. So, yes, it's better for the White House if they get something that far. But, you know, this is still a big question. We're, what, 18 days away. We still have the House going out on break the week this thing needs to be done. Even if they get a top line, you still have to fill out the particulars there. So can they do it? Yes. Should they? Yes. But it is still an uphill battle. And, you know, you were talking.
talking to, to both of your guests about the huge other amounts of other things they have on their agenda, we're also hearing reports that you've got senators pushing to address the crisis at the border in That's terms right. of immigration. So, you know, they're taking on an awful lot. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm glad that you mentioned that. You can read about that on the terminal, by the way. Top Senate Democrat aims to, quote, go as big as we can, unquote, on immigration. Can Patty Murray get the ball rolling on this again, Rick? You know, it's a it's a, a, a very tough question, right? I mean, as as Jeannie points out, there are a lot of priorities in Congress right now, yeah. and the looming aspect of this is it's it's also a mid year election. Uh, this the midterm election. This is going to slow down congressional activity, you know, in the summer because people have to go home and actually wage a campaign. Right. So in a shortened uh, year, uh, get all this done. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of wishes. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many horses show up. Well, it's a midterm election year, right? Is this just about getting me to ask you about it and getting a story in the terminal, getting the and then, that, you know, of course, but come November, they say, look, we tried. We did it again. Republicans, Genie, stop this. You know, I, I think the talk about immigration is real. If As you look at some, you know, we don't get a lot of coverage on the border at this point, but mm-hmm. when you pay particular attention to it, the situation is in some respects deteriorating. That is a problem for the White House. So I do think that this is critically important that it get addressed. Can they get it done, though, is a huge another question. And during an election year, as you mentioned, you know, that much more difficult. But I think the Biden administration would benefit from a focus on this. This has been something that has dogged Democratic administrations in particular for a long time sure. and will continue to in the midterm. After the way we ended last year, I'll tell you, they'd be, they'd be ready to cue the duck boats if they simply got a budget passed, as Rick has mentioned. Thanks to both of you. Rick and Jeannie getting our week underway. Doesn't it feel better now? You got through your Monday. You know what's on the panel's mind. We're going to be all right. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. Bloomberg Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.